Robert here. I'm going to start off a bit differently as I'm considering different formats for this show. Of course, the general topic of how to get started in InfoSec, that's a given. It's a through line through all 56 episodes of The Hacker Mind thus far. I mean, it's not clear how you get a job or even experience for that matter. Me? I sort of fell into this when I had my first day at ZDNet and my editor turned to me and said, what do you know about computer viruses? And the rest, as they say, is history. Well, as a reporter, I was in a position to learn as I wrote about information security. But what if you're on your own? What if you live in a remote area? In the last episode, I talked about Capture the Flag as a point of entry into the field. In this episode, I want to talk about another way to get experience in InfoSec, bug bounties. This is where you get paid to find bugs in a given project. And as you'll hear, in some cases, they'll even fly you around the world to learn how to hack. I hope you'll stick around. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Famosi, and in this Hacker Mind episode, I'm going to be giving some practical insight around the world of bug bounties through the eyes of various hackers I've previously interviewed on the show. Bug bounties are a way to learn vulnerability hunting and get paid while you do. Bug bounties. It's basically hacking for money. You find a vulnerability, and if the company validates it, they give you a bounty. And while there are some people out there earning up to a million dollars doing this, there are advantages by just participating in the challenge. One of the best ways to build a resume before you get that opportunity to get hired is to participate in a bug bounty program. And if you want to be an application pen tester one day, your future employer might want to see some bug bounty work on your resume before they consider hiring you. In episode 9, I talked with Stoke, who now works full-time for TrueSec, but at the time of the interview, he was still contracting. He still runs a popular YouTube channel where he talks about the world and culture of bug bounty. Here's the crazy thing. Prior to 2017, prior to attending DEF CON 25, Stoke had never tried his hand at bug bounty. Yeah, I, ne I never, um, I heard about bounties before, but I didn't really understand it then. You know, I heard about this super cool hackers like Franz Rosen that hacked Netflix or got flown into Vegas to poke at, let's say, Snapchat or something. I don't know what kind of target they, they poked at. But that was just for me mind-blowing. Like, wow, super cool hackers that get to break into stuff. I want to do that. And it was all cloaks and daggers for me at that time. I had no idea. It just looks mysterious. Like these guys poke at websites, break them down and get paid a lot of money. I want to do that. Something else happened to Stoke at DEF CON that year. He began to make connections with some of the leaders in the bug bounty community that existed at the time. I went to DEF CON that, that summer 
uh, for Hacker Summer Camp and got invited or I more or less kind of social engineered myself into a Hacker One live hacking event. Used to be at the bar. Uh, and, and I saw all these amazing hackers there that that were sitting at their MacBooks and hacking away and, and just breaking uh, this kind of software target that they were hacking. And I was so amazed that you were allowed to do that without getting, um, you know, getting legal issues with that. Like, oh, are you guys allowed to do this? Can, can you actually just throw anything you want at it? And there would be no reprimand. There would be no consequences. I'm like, yeah and we get paid massive amount of money for it. I'm like, oh my God, this is too freaking amazing. How, how, how can I do this? And, uh, and that, after that, I invested almost all my waking hours into learning web application pen testing because coming from the infrastructure side, I never really mm-hmm. poked at web apps. I, I still I still can't code for shit, to be honest. I, 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 know, I know PowerShell but you're not building any web apps with PowerShell, are you? So so for me, that was kind of the whole journey. And I've been doing it, I wouldn't say daily, but almost since that day, poking at something. And uh, it's really, really fun. And also coming from those days where if you just by accident poked at something, it would be like straight go to jail card, uh, or it would be like, there would be a really problematic thing where people think that hackers equals criminals, which is not true at all. Uh, hackers are just extremely curious people with a big skill set, and you can decide to be good or bad. Um, I, I used to fell in love with it, and I've been doing it ever since. Okay, so you don't have to go to Hacker Summer Camp to get started in bug bounty hunting. Consider Jack Cable from episode 22. At a very early age, growing up on the north side of Chicago, all on his own, Jack discovered a security flaw in a cryptocurrency app, a flaw that opened the door to the world of bug bounties. This was then when I was in high school as a sophomore, um, was working on building an integration for a, a cryptocurrency website. I want to let people, um, it was a Chrome extension, I want to let people pay money to other people um, like natively through Twitter. Um, so I was working with their API and noticed that first of all, I could send $0 or zero Bitcoin to someone. And that was weird, right? Because it's not really doing anything. And then I tried sending like negative $1 in Bitcoin. And to my surprise, what actually happened was instead of sending money to them, it would take money from their account. Um, so I could effectively steal money from anyone's account. Um, and what was really fortunate was that they had a bug bounty program. So I was able to actually work with them to get it fixed. I had a really positive response for it, got paid for it, which was nice. And that was my intro then to um, kind of the world of security. And then there's Tim Becker from episode seven. He encountered bug bounties through professional bounty services online. There's a website called HackerOne, which basically organizes um, bug bounties for a bunch of different software vendors. And um, they have a, a very wide selection of targets there. Um, and so a lot of people I know, myself included, actually got started in bug bounties by looking for bugs in um, some HackerOne uh, related vendors. Um, so e- even things like looking for bugs in like the Python interpreter, um, or, you know, uh, some web servers of some sort. Um, there's, there's plenty of 
bounties to get started on. Okay, so by now you're probably wondering what's the difference between being hired as a pen tester and being hired as a bug bounty hunter. Both individuals are brought in by companies wanting to harden their systems, but there are some differences. The big difference between bug bounties and pen testing particularly is that you always do a lot of pen testing before you do bug bounties. So pen testing is a methodology and a rule set based testing, which means that you check the boxes, you make sure that the it's like building a house, right? If you want to build a new house, you want to make sure that the power wiring is up to code. So somebody needs to do the work. The, the electrician has done the work, but then the certification guy that checks that everything is cool, he's kind of the pen tester. He checks all the boxes, makes sure that everything's safe, nothing is leaking out. Bounties, on the other hand, is when all this pen testing and harding has been done, um, then bounties begin because it's you you don't you don't get the wiring report that shows how the wires have been pulled through the house. You just have to guess. Like I wonder how they did the wiring on this house, and you need to start to map out things in a very different way. As a pen tester, you need to be an extremely good generalist. You need to know a little bit about a lot of stuff. But in bounties, you can be a super specialist in a very niched field and be like very researching a certain area. And because you don't need to write a coverage report, you just need to focus on one thing. I would say that is kind of the biggest difference. Stoke is quick to point out that bug bounty hunting is not for everyone. With pen testing, it's kind of a white box experience. You have visibility and some access to what you're testing. With pen testing, everything is scoped out, agreed to in advance, so you have some idea where you're going. With bug bounties, you have no idea how this relates to that. And for some people, not having that visibility, having to poke around in the abyss, that's just not suitable for them. The black box situation when it comes to bounties is almost ridiculous, but it's also that's, that is, for me, extremely rewarding. Um, I, I've got this hobby that I like to, I, I like to put down puzzles. So, so I, let's say I buy a box of a puzzle. And if we compare this to bounties, that would be if I bought a box, but it didn't have any picture on the top of the box. Um, it said that it might just contain a certain amount of uh, pieces in it. And all the pieces are blank. So you need to start to sort up the pieces in their shapes. You need to try to figure out like what, what's going on here and doing all that stuff. And you can't ask anyone. You can't find any reference. You need to do the research. So maybe you will start to looking at, oh, this manufacturer of puzzles seems to do it almost the same every time because they have this framework that they use stamp down and it looks the same. So you start to look at the patterns, how the puzzle is built up and trying to figure things out. It's fully black on black. Everything is very blind. You need to relay on time-based attack frameworks. You need to approach it as if you're, you need to to try to figure things out on the way. And And I really enjoy that. It's a very challenging target usually. So success with bug bounties depends a little bit on your own personal background. And since I had some a bit of, I, I wouldn't say a bit, but since I had infrastructure background, I realized that 
I, I knew how things communicated. So race conditions, which is a very logical bug, uh, is something that I focused primarily on because I figured that it was a fairly untested area. It wasn't on the top 10 of the OWASP top 10. And, uh, and it's really, really hard to test for. But if you want to dedicate time to it and you're able to make it work in your way, it can have dire consequences for that com company because you can more or less farm money or, or, or fiddle around with transactions. And, and it's also like very time-based. And, um, and yeah, so, it's, so I choose that bug class. Like I'm just going to do one bug class and then, then I'm going to find a bug on that. And once I'm done with that, I'm just going to keep on to the next target and the next target until I feel comfortable enough with the technique that I have to change to another bug class, learn as much as possible on that one, and then move on again. And so I, I would say primarily two and a half year in, and I still don't do XSSs that well because I never look for XSSs. So it seems like a lot of these early bug bounty vulnerabilities aren't on the level of heart bleed. They're low-hanging fruit. And often that fruit can be found right there on your web browser. I, I wouldn't say browsers are my favorite necessarily, but... They're the most high impact currently, um, and they have the highest bounty rewards. It, I mean, it varies depending on, you know, uh, how difficult things are at the given time, basically. Um, but at the current time, um, browsers, if an attacker was trying to actually write a full chain exploit. So an exploit chain is an attack that involves multiple exploits or attacks. Hackers will usually not just use one method, They'll use several, chaining them together. In, in particular, Sandbox Escape tends to be the bottleneck. Um, and so the bounties kind of correspond to that relative difficulty. And currently, browsers are the bottleneck in most cases. Others approach finding vulnerabilities differently, like concentrating on standard vulnerabilities first. When I started doing this, um, I, of course, knew very little. So a lot of it was... Um, just looking at the standard vulnerabilities out there, kind of some cross-site scripting, um, direct object references, all of that. Um, one of the interesting ones that caught my eyes early on was I read this post about someone who, this was with Starbucks. They found a way that they could exploit a race condition to redeem a gift card multiple times. And in doing so, they could get, um, I think it was kind of the infinite balance with Starbucks. Um, so I saw that, and that was really crazy to me because it was, wasn't something that was immediately apparent. You'd have to do something kind of intricate to test for that. But let's be clear. Pen testing can be conducted within two weeks. One week hands-on and one week report writing. Bug bounties, they're much more open-ended. And, um, and um, it took me about... From the day I started to I found my first bug, maybe it took like two months, but I had no prior experience in using tools like Burp or actually no web stuff. So I, I, what I did is that I just turned Burp on and then did my normal kind of browsing through 
any kind of website that I stumble upon, like the way that I always do it. And I looked at her traffic, almost like you're looking at the matrix for the first time. You see that moving and all these green characters are just falling down. You have no idea what's going on, but these guys that sit there, they're like, oh yeah, no, I know what that is. That's like totally different part of this planet or another dimension. And you're like, well, those guys know what they're doing. But after a while, I got that sense too, because you see these posts and these get requests going back and forth and server responses and the way things just communicated with each other. So I just trained my mind in understanding how web traffic flowed and how communication with third parties worked and what kind of flows that were inside web applications. Most of what I did was just looking at different bug bounty programs um, across the board, seeing what I could find. Of course, I, I started from a position of like knowing some web development. I maybe like read about like SQL injection and whatnot, but had never actually seen that in practice. Um, so a lot of it was just kind of figuring out the landscape, looking at different people's blogs, tutorials about what they had found, and then going out and trying that out against different companies with book mining programs. Um, so in that way, I think they were a really effective way for me to like learn in the real world Here's what companies actually care about. Um, here's what, what they'll actually pay you for, which was nice. So you found a vulnerability. Where should you report that vulnerability? There are many different types of bug bounty programs. So that one in particular, I've seen a lot more race conditions, um, say. A race condition is when a device or system attempts to perform two or more operations at the same time. But because of the nature of the device or system, the operations must be done in a particular sequence in order to be done correctly. It's like with that, for instance, you can spend your balance twice and then kind of keep doing that back and forth to get an infinite balance. I've seen less the negative amount just because in some ways it is so trivial that um, you would think everyone would hopefully think about it. Like you shouldn't be able to send negative $1 to someone else. Uh, but of course, software is complex and these bugs do happen. So while I've seen it less, I certainly wouldn't rule it out anywhere. So I think yeah, if you were to try it on PayPal right now, I, I, th I think they've thought of that. Um, but I started looking at, at that particularly for companies, uh, cryptocurrency companies that had um, bug bounties, because of course, the impact of a race condition for cryptocurrency is potentially being able to steal all the money held by say that exchange. Um, and I ended up finding a couple really severe vulnerabilities that had I exploited them, I think in one case, like the wallet had maybe $100,000 that I could have just withdrawn right there and then if I'd wanted to. Um, they paid me a fraction of that in a bug bounty, but the important part was just knowing that I could have done that and that now that's patched up um, so no one can exploit that. Knowing about race conditions helped Stoke with his bug bounties. Mm. The first bug bounty I got was a race condition, and it was in something called a VDP program, a vulnerable, vulnerable disclosure program. So it, it means that they don't pay any awards. And it's also the only um, bounty that I ever submitted that I never got paid for, because I just pretty clearly didn't know better, I guess. Jack also applied his bug bounty knowledge to his cryptocurrency research as well. So the one I actually started on, this was the one that hosted this cryptocurrency company, was a platform called Cobalt.io. I think they've pivoted, they pivoted a few years ago more to kind of doing like crowdsourced pen testing, so less on the bug bounties. Um, but at a time, they had these open bug bounty programs that anyone could participate in. Um, most of them happened to be cryptocurrency companies, uh, which was a lot where I started out. So I did that, but 
kind of yeah began to work more since yeah HackerOne had uh, more programs on there. I, I started doing that, um, and it's I think it's kind of interesting how like each of the bug bounty platforms has this incentive structure in place to keep you hacking on their platform. Um, like I just as well have started out doing this on Bug Crowd, um, level up there and start getting more invitations to private programs. But I think that there definitely are strong incentives to like once you're you've done reasonably well on one platform to keep focusing on that because yeah, you get access to more private programs. Um, I've done a bunch of the live hacking events, at least pre-COVID, uh, which are a really great experience. Um, and yeah, you get that by kind of, um, yeah, in a way staying loyal to a, a platform. Individual companies can sponsor their own, such as Apple having an invite-only bug bounty in which you can offer up to a million dollars for a specific type of bug, while Google and Intel have more open bounty programs. Then there are the aggregators, the ones like BugCrowd or HackerOne. They work with different and sometimes smaller companies and independent hackers, handing, handling all the back end as necessary. They pay, and they often pay very well. And they have two tiers, one that is open for everyone, and one you have to be invited to, like Stoke. I joined HackerOne, and usually what happens when you join this platform is that you got a amount of different uh, customers that you have a possibility to to, let's say, hack or research stuff at. And the, the, that's called like the, the open programs, the ones that are available for anyone that signs up. And that could be, um, be pretty daunting because they are well-tested grounds, they're very big. And uh, so I was lucky enough to get a, after a while I got a private invite to a program that, that I started to test on. I, I guess I was lucky enough to, uh, to, to find a couple of really cool bugs, like bugs that really put me on the map as a researcher. Like, well, this guy knows what he's doing. He doesn't have that high reputation, but he has a very, um, he's good at reproducing results. So um, I got invited to a live hacking event in Amsterdam um, because it, we're in Europe. I was flown there and the target was Dropbox at the time. And I was nervous, but I got there and I met all these other amazing hackers and uh, and I did terrible. I, I did so bad at that event that I, I didn't really know what to say. I, I sent in a couple of really crappy bugs, but then again, I got a network of cool people to talk to and, and created a lot of new friends and realized like this is finally the place where I totally belong. And I said to myself that day, I'm going to do anything I can to get invited to another one. So I used, after that event, I got home. I, I, every week hour I had, I kind of more or less focused on learning more techniques or, or, or just practicing my skills. Uh, and eventually was lucky enough to get invited to Vegas for uh, H1702, which is HackerOne's flagship event. And once I was there, I submitted a couple of really nice crits and uh, and got some amazing awards uh, during that that stay. Uh, I can't disclose the targets, uh, but it was really it was a big big time for me, a, a big thing to be there with all these amazing hackers and see that I could prove myself to deliver results under high pressure. So and and I've been doing that ever since. 
Ultimately, Jack also settled on HackerOne. Again, not an endorsement, just these two researchers happened to land there. HackerOne has elevated bug bounties to live event spectacles, if you will. They actually fly people such as Jack and Stoke around the country and around the world to HackerOne live events. They've even invited Jack, in this case, to the Pentagon. Yep. So that's kind of a fun story. And that's something I, again, never thought I would have gotten into. So this was shortly after I'd started Bug Bounties. Um, so I started them maybe when I was 15. And then uh, maybe six months later, um, when I, by the time I'd turned 16, I got an email from HackerOne. I think the subject was, what if I told you the Pentagon wanted you to hack it? And this was the first Hack the Pentagon program. Um, so I was invited to participate in that. Um, I, since I was just starting out, I didn't know much. I found maybe two things, both that other people had already found. Um, so didn't get paid for those, but still got acknowledged and got to see just like how cool this was that like I was one of the first people being invited to actually hack into the uh, Department of Defense's networks um, and people um, were getting paid for it. So for Jack, flying across the country, that was special. Hack the Pentagon was the first bug bounty in the history of the U.S. federal government and was spearheaded by the Digital Defense Service, DDS, a DOD team charged with bringing private sector talent and the best practices to transform the way the department approaches its own technology. Someone from HackerOne had posted that they were looking for people who would participate in the Hack the Pentagon program to fly out to their San Francisco office to meet with people from the DOD um, before the launch of Hack the Air Force. Um, so I took them up on that. They flew me out to San Francisco. I was, I think, 16 years old. Um, my parents just gave me the blessing, sent me off. Um, and there I met the Defense Digital Service for the first time. Um, and just um, really, I, I had, until that point, I'd never seen myself doing work for the government. It seemed kind of just this bureaucracy that you can't really improve. It's just always going to be mediocre. Um, but I saw what they were doing. I saw that they were actually taking these practices that had kicked off in industry, um, bug bounties, engaging hackers who can do a much better job of identifying where flaws were. Um, so that, that really stuck with me. And after that, I did, um, the hack the air force competition where I ended up placing first in finding, um, around 30 bugs, uh, which eventually led me to working for, um, defense digital service out of high school. So how then is a bug bounty event different from just another CTF? It's usually structured this way. So I, I, one of the, it's either hack one, so it's either hack one or this bug crowd that or integrity that have these live hacking events. Usually those players, but hacker one particularly it works like this normally. So um, there's a vetting process where you get selected to be a part of the hackers that's going to be able to hack on that live event, and it's everything from. I don't know, 20 to 100 people, depending on how big the event is. Like the flagship events in Vegas, a lot of people get invited. Some of the smaller ones, a lesser group. So if you if you, if you you make the cut and you get invited, there's a two-week um, presentation from the day that the scope is getting released. Normally, that's how it works. In the beginning, you would get the scope on the same day, but hey, that, that doesn't work. Like You can't take 30 people in and expect they found magic stuff in eight hours. So everybody needs um, at least two weeks to prepare. 
So what they do is that they they have a call and they release the scope and they explain what they're interested in finding. You can ask questions and talk to the program. And then, then it just kicks off all hands in. And usually what I do is just eat, sleep and function that target for two weeks until it's time to travel to the location. We are at the location that then you have a, a small window for two or three hours where you get to send all your reports in. Once the reports are in, um, what is defined as the dupe window closes. So if you find the same vulnerability as somebody else after that period, uh, you won't get paid anything because they don't, have, they don't have time to fix it, right? It's, it's just bugs coming in. And then you hack for about eight hours. Uh, and after that, there's, uh, there's a break and there's open bar. And then it's a show and tell where the best bugs get reported or some of the bugs that are creative and fun are getting shared with that group that are there. And uh, then it's just a party and it's all over. For others, finding and reporting bugs happens the right way. Typically with, with, um, with bug bounties, they prefer that you report um, right away if you can. Um, so if the bug is like currently uh, affecting users, um, it's probably best to report right away. And typically the, the bounty vendors, I know this is true for Google in particular, will give you some time to finish writing an exploit for it if they want to offer you extra for proving that it's exploitable. So um, if you're reporting a bug like this to at least Google Chrome, but probably other vendors, uh, if you report the bug immediately and then take some time to write the exploit, you can still get the full reward for the exploit. So there are strategies for successful bug bounties. For example, you're given some scope. Slack, for example, doesn't just let you comb over all of their code. You have a section of that code to review. So to be successful, you come in focusing say, on race conditions? And if so, is that then a sustainable model for you, the hacker, to continue? I mean, there are million-dollar bug bounty people out there, but what's it like for the rest of us? I've certainly heard of examples of, of people that find, like, a nice, um, basically a nice methodology for finding similar types of bugs in all kinds of different products. And, like, for instance, on HackerOne, there are public scoreboards of how much money certain users have made. And there are certainly people who have made in the millions of dollars from, from bug bounties. But I would also say that in my personal opinion, um, bug bounties aren't compensating well enough to make bounty hunting like a stable career for a lot of people, which I think it should be able to do. Um, I think the security of software would benefit greatly if um, bounties were a little higher and more people could pursue this as a full-time career. Of course, there are the legitimate ways to report your vulnerabilities, which we just discussed. But there are also illegitimate ways as well. The alternative to a bug bounty program, that's the dark markets, the dark web where exploits have prices as well. I would say that there are sort of like private market prices for these different vulnerabilities where if you, if you aren't responsibly disclosing them and rather you're selling them for profit to some sort of uh, exploit broker or something, there, there are publicly known prices for the different um, types of vulnerabilities. And in 
the target software that they're in. So you can kind of get a sense of how difficult or um, important different bug classes are based on those private market prices. Um, and typically Google Chrome and Android bugs are the highest value currently. Um, and I would say that that indicates that those are kind of the hardest targets at the moment. Um, but it, it varies with time. Uh, sometimes iOS um, full chains are higher value. So Fortunately, Tim works at a company that builds in time for him to do the legitimate type of hacking. It's technically part of my job at Siri. Um, basically, when we have time in between contracts, we're doing vulnerability research on major software and um, collecting bug bounties and stuff. Um, probably my most interesting uh, targets would be like operating system kernels. You know, I definitely have fun doing it, so I would likely be doing it either way. But, so yeah, I would say the bounties are just a nice addition. That said, not everything is perfect. At least, not yet. I think having a bounty program at all is, is great and certainly a step in the right direction um, because I mean, it is just, it has a proven track record of improving the security of the software. Um, but I would argue that it, it could be improved much more if the incentives were a little higher for people to devote the time to acquire the, the general bug hunting skills, but also the, the main specific skills for that, that specific software, um, which takes a lot of time on its own. And uh, if it was rewarded a little better, um, you could have more experts on that specific software that are finding vulnerabilities and reporting them. Okay, I want to thank Stoke, Tim Becker, and of course, Jack Cable for sharing their experiences on the world of bug bounties. Hey, I'm thinking of shaking things up a bit at the Hacker Mine. DM me on Twitter at Robert Vamosi and tell me what you like and what you don't like. For the Hacker Mine, I will always be Robert Vamosi. <laughs>